This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. On this episode, I talk to Andrew Porter about his story collection, The Disappeared. Frank O'Connor famously asserted that all stories are about loss, that this void is very much a part of the human condition. We lose, we lose things, we lose and we're on a search to regain what was lost or never even realize what's gone, and that becomes the problem. In Andrew Porter's latest collection of short stories, The Disappeared, the title itself portends the complications of these stories. But things are not just lost. We can read the stories from that corner of this idea, but these stories are different. Maybe the stakes are a little bit higher. What's missing isn't just lost, as if it can be in some way found again or recovered. No, in these stories, the issue is that what's missing is long gone, vanished, disappeared. I spoke to Andrew Porter about his story collection, The Disappeared. How does it feel to have come to this place of having a new collection of stories? It feels wonderful. Um, I, I feel like I finished the book um, a couple years ago, so um, there's been a kind of waiting part of it, you know, that which is very common today with with publication. Um, and so I'm so thrilled um, that it's finally going to be out in the world and that people will be able to read it. That's so wonderful. So, Andrew, but you consider yourself a story writer. Like, this is your, this is totally your wheelhouse, right? Totally my wheelhouse, yeah. I, I mean, I've written a novel, and, and I'm actually working on a second novel, but um, my first love has always been the short story, and, and, and I really do consider myself primarily a story writer. I have to tell you that based on the title of the collection, I was really conscious, not just about this basic idea of loss that we encounter in all stories, but this idea of disappearances, which for me is something a little bit different, right? There's there's a difference to me, like, but it becomes the idea of disappearing sort of became a guiding principle for me for entering each story. Is that fair? Do you think that was okay to do that? Yes, absolutely. My hope is that people will use the title as a kind of lens through which to experience the book and each of the stories. Um, I didn't start out with the concept, um, but about halfway through writing the stories, I began to notice that all of the stories were dealing with either literal or metaphorical disappearances. And so um you know, at that point, I kind of had an idea what the title was going to be. And, and that kind of also guided the stories I wrote after that. I started to notice the word disappear, disappearing, disappearance. I don't know if that if it was just sort of I was just so aware that the word would leap out at me. I'm not even sure. Are, are you aware that that happened? <laughs> <laughs> Only in the in sort of the copy editing phase did I begin to kind of notice it on the page. Um, it certainly wasn't something I was consciously doing as I was writing it. But again, um, you know, I, I, once I had the title and and particularly during the copy editing phase, I began to notice it. Um, but I kind of liked that it that it was in there and that subconsciously I'd been kind of introducing this idea into the stories. Yeah. I, I As a reader, I felt that way. I felt like, oh, this is very interesting. It's like 
the characters are displaced or the characters are lost in any of a number of ways or something's missing in their lives. And and it just, you could sort of go from story to story that way. But a lot of writers write about place and they're sort of known for the places that they write about. Um, I feel like Right now, your place is San Antonio, maybe the I-35 corridor between San Antonio and Austin and a little bit beyond. But tell me about San Antonio as a place that emerges in in many of the stories in this collection. What was that like? What was that about? Yeah, so all of the stories are set in either San Antonio or Austin. There's one that's kind of set in New York state, but it references Austin. Yes. <laughs> so they're all linked in some way by the, by the, by this setting. And that was something also, as I was writing these stories, I began to become conscious of the fact that I was setting all of these stories in San Antonio and Austin. And so at a certain point in writing them, rather than kind of trying to vary that, I decided to lean into it, figuring there's probably a reason for that. And I really wanted to capture things that I love about this part of the country, um, this part of the state, and to kind of celebrate those things through the the details um, in, in the stories. And I wanted the book to have a kind of consistency, that common backdrop that linked it, as well as just the thematic links. I wanted, I've always liked collections that were geographically linked. Um, Somehow they always felt a little bit more cohesive. And um, once I noticed that that was happening just in the writing um, organically, I, I, I thought, well, this will be another nice linking element to the book. I found that so interesting. I mean, as somebody who's lived in San Antonio now for uh, a number of years to sort of um, read about, you know, somebody living in King William or somebody um, or or the character that's working on this documentary about artists that live in the south side of San Antonio, you know, this sort of um, this kind of knowing, you know, this kind of familiarity is very interesting. But I tried to put myself in the in the mind of readers, your many readers from many other places that will now, you know, now and forever uh, know about Bozole and <laughs> and <Right. laughs> and other things related that, that we all know so so well in San Antonio. Uh, so I think that's that's kind of neat, you know. So um, there are many stories in this collection about married couples or couples that are living together, and always there's something that threatening to break things open and apart for them. And we enter the story, we come to them when things are already very shaky and tentative. Tell me how this particular concern and those related conflicts and tensions in relationships or even the early stages of a marriage or maybe even, you know, a a marriage that's already um, a, a few years old. What is what's interesting there to you as a writer to bring these stories? Of course, for readers, they're very interesting. But what it, what is it that interests you as a writer about those kinds of relationships? Well, you know, I think that um, at the time that I was writing this book, you know, I was recently married um, and kind of experiencing that. And I also um, had recently had two children. And so... 
Um, my life before that was very different than suddenly what my life was. And so I think in this book in particular, I was really interested in um, not just married couples, but married couples with, in many cases, who were, who had young children or who had children and were kind of contending with some of those pressures as well. Um, so I, I think that's one of the reasons that so many of the stories are about those types of relationships. Um, but I think it's also partly about the fact that as a story writer, I've always liked to kind of write about small worlds, you know, kind of self-contained spaces. Um, you'll notice like the stories in this book are, a lot of them are set in one or two settings primarily, um, and they have a relatively small cast of characters. And I like to really kind of have that kind of small space in which to work. And so in writing about couples, you know, you're somewhat limited if you're just writing about two people in a marriage. And so often I would insert some third person, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, which I do in a number of the stories as, yeah, sometimes a kind of threatening element to the marriage, right? Some Someone from outside of the relationship who's come in and may at first seem to be a kind of benevolent figure and then <laughs> becomes <laughs> an increasing threat to the relationship. And I don't know, I just, I think that threes are always interesting in stories that even going back to my first collection, I was always exploring threes, you know, mm -hmm. relationships between three people. Um, I just think there's endless po narrative possibilities when you have that type of dynamic. It's so true. It's not in the story Rhinebeck, for instance. I mean, friendships are another sort of, you know, the the three, the third, but friendships are another sort of, I don't know if I should call them a casualty, but a problem or a conflict. There's part of this unspoken tension that persists and grows in the story. We see it in silhouettes also. I thought this was so interesting, too, that the friendships that are so important to one or another character, they really are quite often, they are part of what sort of disappears by necessity or by, you know, some circumstance that's playing out for the main character or even because of the couple, because of the married couple or because of the of the relationship, the the, um, the two partners in the story where then the when the friendship comes into play, it's sort of like there's an, an automatic alliance with the married couple. <laughs> Although in Rhinebeck, not to give too much away, you know, that's maybe not really the case. <laughs> maybe that's a little more fluid. But I just thought that was so interesting how important the friendships are and then how when things are happening, when the, when the tension flares up, that that could be the thing that goes by the wayside, that disappears. Yeah. And and I, I think that happens in a number of stories, right, that, that there's a kind of the couple is friends with the same person, right, or in some cases, have a long relationship with that person. Yeah, how sustaining those types of relationships are difficult, particularly, you know, when you have, in many cases, the kind of stronger bond of the marriage, right? Mm -hmm. But again, I mean, those those types of situations are really interesting to me. And I tried to explore it in a few different stories in different ways, Sometimes, like in the case of Rhinebeck, it's from the perspective of the outsider friend coming into the marriage. But then in, in some of the other stories, you have a kind of third character 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's from from, from some, the perspective of someone within the marriage, right? And so, like, it's sort of like binds, right? Um, I, I guess that's not a marriage, that's a relationship, but the same idea. Yes, I totally hear what you're saying. I, I, li- I like this idea. I mean, it's so realistic, and it is different each time, and somehow resonant each time, too. And parenting is another key subject among many of the stories. If we look at a story like, um, let's see, Breathe or bees, or even the first story, Austin, we can see the ways in which there's a situation of a parent who's trying to like rise to the challenge of the role of parenting, even in like the really small everyday challenges, um, and of course the major ones. So I love I love the stories with these issues with the parenting. Uh, so I, I'm I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, I was kind of a new parent um, at the time when I was writing these stories, and and I kind of came out of a period of a few years where I was really just not able to write because my children had just been born, and kind of our our life was chaos, <laughs> <laughs> like many people. And we're just kind of trying to get through each day, and so writing was really on the back burner. But once I started writing again, I wanted to try to explore some of these really complex emotions that new parents experience. But also, I think even for people who don't have children, I think when you enter your 30s and 40s, the idea of parenthood is something that kind of emerges and becomes a part of your reality, right? And so I wanted to also present in the book characters who couldn't have children, but wanted to have children, characters who had pretty adamantly decided not to have children, you know, different different representations of people kind of in their 30s and 40s who, even if they didn't have children, were kind of contending with the possibility of having children or the decision of whether or not to have children. So I wanted to present all of those different types of models, as well as different representations of different types of parents who had different types of relationships to being a parent Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and different conflicts connected to that. So yeah, that was also a a major thing that I just kind of inevitably found myself exploring because I was experiencing it. (laughs) Yeah. And it happens even again with Rhinebeck and with Silhouettes. It's like there's a, there's a friend character who, you know, the issue of, of having a child is a big issue, is a problem, because they they can't or they don't want to, or you know, but there's some some conflict there in between two people because of that decision. So I think it's very interesting, and I love the way you draw children in your stories. You know, there's sort of like this ineffable thing. I mean, there's just like this this beautiful. Not quite precociousness, but they're just lovely characters. I just I thought the children were really interesting characters, especially Rhea um, in in the bees story. I thought was was really cute. Where the you know the dad's having to watch Frozen and hide the you know the the, the <laughs> iPad and all of that. I just thought it was so, it was so dead on. Now let me ask you about something. A lot of your stories feature cigarettes, people smoking, or people going back to smoking or smoking in a very specific context. I know this is a weird question, but I am curious about the the ubiquity of cigarettes in your stories. 
Yeah, you're not the first to ask about that. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, and that's again something that kind of I was more aware of after assembling the book, you know. Um but but yeah, I mean there is a story actually called Cigarettes, a very short kind yes. of flash fiction piece that's that's about kind of the giving up of cigarettes and a kind of nostalgic um almost lament <laughs> <laughs> cigarettes. But you know, to me in the in the book, I really see cigarettes working as a kind of metaphor. Um, you know, and they, they represent I kind of associate them with youth and with a kind of romanticized attitude, maybe. Um, you know, I think that a lot a lot of people tend to give up smoking cigarettes as they get older, right? Mm-hmm. Um and, and at least in my generation, a lot more people that I knew smoke cigarettes when they were younger. And partly because when you're young, you you feel, you know, kind of untouchable and, and there is a kind of romanticism sometimes mm-hmm. attached with smoking cigarettes, um, particularly like among artists, I think. And so I wanted, again, to kind of present different representations. You have people who have quit smoking and kind of look back on it nostalgically. Maybe you have characters who are almost kind of defiantly continuing to smoke, even though they're older now. Um, and they, they kind of represent that kind of like unwillingness to kind of accept that they need to start taking care of their bodies. Now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, the cigarettes, there are cigarettes in the stories and, and they operate in different ways and different characters have different relationships to cigarettes. But, um, Often the characters who've given up smoking cigarettes are the ones who have, you know, like had, you know, they've had children and they're kind of having to confront being a different type of person in the world. Um, and so anyway, it, you know, it, it I, as with the, the, the children theme, I wanted to present a lot of different kind of relationships to that. I think that's. Perfect. I was hoping that that was the answer because I feel like, yeah, I think a lot of women give up smoking when they find out they're pregnant or when they are married or when there are children around or or when we reach a certain age and we decide, ah, maybe this isn't so good for me anymore. And, um, And then, as you say, to return to it is really to sort of return to something, a, a period where we were more carefree about such things and uh, there is a nostalgia attached to it, and there is a defiance <laughs> attached to it, to be sure. Um, and I wondered about wine. Wine is really um, in a lot of the stories. And um, I wonder about the way we can m- move into the setting for some of these stories around wine and drinking. And maybe it's kind of the same thing. You know, there's a lot of drinking kind of generally, and this is not stretching our verisimilitude at last, right? This is what what people do when they socialize and when they come together, when friends come together, when couples go out. And I think you capture something that's all too real in that. Um, Not wine as a truth serum, you know, and the couples are drinking (laughs) all these truths are, you know, coming out of their mouths, um, sort of unbidden, but as just as this necessary thing that it has to be present for some of these characters to even convene. I mean, I feel like that's certainly true for the very first story. And then we just sort of see how, how that happens as we move through the other stories. It is something to share. It is something that brings them together or 
allows them to spend time together. I, I just thought it was a very interesting thing. And of course, I mean, I'm much older now, but in you know, in my early years in San Antonio, this was the thing. It was to go out and uh, have drinks and maybe smoke, you know. So, so I just thought it was it was a very interesting element in uh, in the story in some of the stories about San Antonio in particular. Yeah, and I do think that that is again a kind of linking element, um, like the cigarettes. And again, I mean, as I mentioned before, I like to kind of put things into the world of my stories that I like. Um, and I like, wine. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and I think more than that though, I think that, you know, it's something like growing up, my parents who are now in their eighties, they still like have a glass of wine with dinner most nights. And, and that's just was always something kind of, I observed, but it was kind of like always a part of the end of the day. Right. Um, when work was done, you come together and you have a you know glass of wine and you talk about the day and you have dinner and you know i think when i became an, a new parent too it became for my wife and me like a kind of ritual when the kids fell asleep right that this was our time of day to just have a glass of wine together and talk about the day and kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> unload a little bit or <laughs> decompress um, and I think it is for a lot of people. Um, but but I wanted that to also be something that kind of linked the stories is uh, this was a way for the couples to kind of come together or for friends to come together. I think that, again, that's just partly growing out of what I was experiencing at that time, right after my kids were, were being born. And so I think I was kind of maybe even subconsciously just putting it in the stories. But it's so real. I mean, it is such a, a real element. It's it's sort of like, it's a, it's a given in any sort of social situation. But the other thing I noticed is your characters, so this must be something else that you like a lot, but your characters drop many references to music of all kinds, all kinds, all genres and um, Mexican music and <laughs> classical music. Um, so I thought that was really interesting and another sort of window into that particular character. And I love the story where the father is sharing with, uh, with it's the father with Rhea, things about music and favorite music. And so that, that's another element of the story that I, that I find so, of the collection that I find so wonderful. And, you know, it's it's always somebody sort of different and a different genre and for that moment and for that situation. It's just lovely. It was you need like a like a playlist or something to go along with the book. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy that, to hear you yeah, that, that that was something you saw in the stories because that is also something that I I put into, you know, I wanted to put into the world of the book kind of like some of the other elements we've been talking about. I mean, these are things, you know, you you put stuff that you love in into your world and you hope that other people like that as well. Um, but yeah, like in the story Cello, it, which is about a woman who's a really a professional cellist and um, professor of music, you know, music obviously was like a, a major theme in, in that particular story. But even, you know, the fact that when, she's at home and away from work 
she's not listening to classical music in that story, but she wants to listen to jazz and jazz singers. And just kind of like a little detail like that is a, a kind of, I don't know, a subtle characterization detail that's telling us something about the way that she associates her job, um, you know, and, and, and the way she tries to separate her, her job world from her home world. And then she has this little private space outside of the house where she plays her cello and that's her another world. And so, you know, that's just one example in one story of where I was thinking about how different types of music could be connected to different spaces and represent different things to, um, to the characters. Oh, I love it. And it, it, it works so beautifully. Many titles in this collection are one word, not all of them but most of them are one single word, like vines and silhouette and Austin and cigarettes. What was your process like? Was there ever, was there a story that, where it was just one single word that guided you to the writing of the story? Yeah, you know, I tend to do that um, often in drafts when I'm saving a a story um, in early drafts. I often just pick one word that, not even really knowing why, but that feels like it's the kind of tone of of what the story is for me. And often because I'm lazy, <laughs> that, no. that ends up just remaining the the title. And so a lot a lot of times with like place titles, like the the story Austin or the story Rhinebeck, those stories, you know, kind of kept those titles because it when in early drafts I just called it like Austin story or Rhinebeck story. And um, and though th- that's sometimes how that happens, but but also I think I've always liked one word titles. Even you know, in some ways, the the title of the book is kind of just one word. The word disappeared. I just like a word that works as again a kind of lens through which to view the story. A word that kind of sets a particular tone for the story, that connects to a kind of central theme for the story. I like one word titles and stories I read and but I also, you know, I, I think I gravitate toward them for that reason. Just because they that one word then becomes a really significant way in which to experience the story. I've been reading here and there about how the short story is experiencing a kind of a I don't want to say resurgence, but there are there's an interest in short stories. I don't know if this is in the zeitgeist or not, or what's what's happening, or if I'm just so open to it that I notice it, and definitely not complaining. I love the short story the way the way that you do. What do you make of that? Do you do you perceive that too about the short story right now? I do. I mean, I might be a little biased because I'm always. I'm always paying close attention to new collections that are coming out. Um, and, you know, I, I, I religiously read the best American short stories every year and the Henry prize stories and the Pushcart prize. So I, that's kind of the lens through which I, <laughs> I view <laughs> the literary world. So I don't know if sometimes if I'm overly biased, but I do. I mean, I think one of the reasons is that, for people who are working on longer projects, short stories are a way to kind of get work out there. And it's often the way that people who are emerging as writers first introduce their work to the world because it's it's much easier to kind of publish a story and 
and get it out there than than to publish a novel right away. So, and I think also because of like social media, like it's e- so easy now to kind of have work up on the web, you know, mm-hmm. um, very quickly and to have it easily accessible and then to have it shared by many people. And, you know, there are many people just, you know, on Twitter or Instagram or, you know, any number of social media platforms who are able to kind of get their work out there despite not having an agent or not being published, you know, not having a published book or not having an editor. They It gives them a kind of vehicle to get work out there quickly. And so I think for emerging writers or people publishing their first work, like, there's so many vehicles now that allow them to get their work out there if they're working in shorter forms. And what is it that you want the disappeared to contribute to that conversation and this kind of movement around the short story right now in 2023? Oh, wow. That's not a question I was prepared for. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, my hope is just that, you know, people who have liked my work in the past, that this is more work for them to experience. I really think when I, in writing this book, I was thinking about past readers of, of my first collection and who would ask me, you know, about my next book. And, and so I'm thinking about them and, and something for them. But I, I think also um, I wanted this book to kind of I don't know that there are many collections that are really about this part of the country. And so part of it was wanting to write about San Antonio and Austin and have it be a kind of distinct collection that's contributing geographically in that way to this larger conversation, but also kind of a book about this particular period in people's lives, which I know has been written about by many other writers before me, but I wanted it to be a kind of continuation, uh, a continued contribution to that, that work that's about people going through their 30s and 40s and dealing with conflicts that are really particular to that age. Andrew Porter, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really, really appreciate it. I I love talking uh, uh, to you today. And thank you so much again for having me. Andrew Porter is the author of the story collection, The Disappeared, It's published by Knopf. He's also the author of the collection Theory of Light and Matter and the novel In Between Days. He teaches fiction writing and directs the creative writing program at Trinity University in San Antonio. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides. 